Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tree City Sports Podcast. I am your host, as usual, Andrew Baker, here with my co-host, as usual, Graham Mullen. How's it going, Graham? Oh, you know, just uh, staying inside, practicing my uh, social distancing, just like everybody else is at this point. Yeah, you know um, what? Let's just get that out of the way right now. Yeah. Uh, we don't really have a lot to say. At least I don't personally. Coronavirus is a big problem, and it sucks, and there's been no sports for like two or three weeks now, and there's it's not, nothing really is normal except apparently where I work, which is nice, and uh it's been 84 years. Yeah, no no kidding. <laughs> it feels like it's been so long since I've watched a sporting event. But we are a sports podcast, and we must podcast on because, uh, you know, the Browns have been doing stuff. So if you have nothing else to add, we can move on to that already. Yeah, I mean, obviously, everyone stay safe out there. Make sure you're being appropriate with how you are uh, – going out, making sure you're practicing social distancing, but also just remember that, uh, you know, we'll get through this and there will be sports again soon. And eventually, even though, eventually. eventually, and even though there is this year, next year, 2030, we'll find out. Yeah. Well, at least we know for now for so far that the NFL hasn't had too much stuff happen because of this, because they're in the off season. They are the only sport really this at the moment that was really in the process of their off season. So they have not been affected nearly as much as the NHL, NBA, et cetera, et cetera. So at least now we have something to talk about, like the Browns making big moves in free agency. Like they do every season. They're trying to be the free agency winners. And hopefully this next off season means they're not the regular season losers. What do you think about nope, this free agency? Nobody, nobody wins the off season in the press conference like the Browns do. Yeah, we all were so sold on Freddie last offseason after his press conference, and we're well, like, yeah. It turns out he's a complete idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like your, your random drunk uncle trying to coach a football team. Well, remember, if you don't wear orange and brown, you don't matter. Oh, for God's sake. Speaking of wearing <laughs> orange and brown, I'm excited to see what uniforms the Browns have coming out because, let's be honest, I think – when they redid the uniforms five years ago, I don't know about you. I think trash. You, I think you kind of liked them at first, but I <laughs> trash. I mean, I look. The Browns had one of the more iconic uniforms in sports, and decided that that wasn't new and shiny enough, and played with stupid-looking uniforms for the team with Cleveland on the front, which is kind of whatever. But I'm here's what I'll say about the uniforms. I think the assumption is that they're going back to something similar to the old uniforms which again were iconic and classic and there was no reason to change them so i'm excited to see those at least yeah the only ones i really like at this point are the white are the white home uniforms that they wear sometimes those are actually pretty nice but other than that the they i do agree i hope they and change still it back to more conventional i yeah i mean i do like this new white ones in a way sometimes a little bit more they're a little bit more modern now the brown ones that they wore obviously i prefer the classic ones that they used to wear i mean i have a joe thomas jersey from the old Browns jerseys and I still haven't bought a new one despite the fact I would like to because I just don't like the design and they definitely need to rebrand it and change it hopefully they just leave the logo alone because again like the uniform the Browns logo is iconic because we're really the only team in the NFL that doesn't have some type of animal or you know ship or something like that we're just a helmet and it's iconic and it's been around since the 1940s and they don't need to change it well that's another thing is if they put a logo on the helmet I'm gonna riot and yeah, I'll be serious. I don't, I don't think I don't think even Jimmy Haslam would have the audacity to do that. But I'm pretty you sure never know. Jimmy Haslam's the reason we got different uniforms in the first place. And he's the, also the reason we got that 
remember when we got that slightly different color of orange and everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's more intense and it's it's more, you know, invocative of the the city's culture. It's like, shut up. It's a color. Can we stop? Anyways, the old uniforms or if not the old uniforms, you know, the old uniforms with a, with a minor tweak here and there is fine, but it, they better go back to a much more classic look because like it's pretty universal that that's what people want because again they had great uniforms and changed them for no reason but you're correct we are here to talk about players. we're talking about the players yeah we're five minutes in and we've talked about a virus and freddie kitchens and jimmy haslam and the uniforms which... let's be honest andrew with all with no sports being around we're going to be filling the podcast with you know a little bit more uh a bit more fun topics than maybe some than some other things we talk about. <laughs> yeah, next week we can rank our uh, our favorite flavors of Mountain Dew. How about that? Top five, top fives. We could do top fives, top five sporting moments. You know, we're Michael gonna still bring you guys Michael content. Michael Brady dunk on Buffalo, Kent State, twenty eleven. Look it up, <laughs> kids. Anyways, so look, the Browns, like you said, are masters at making everyone excited by throwing a bunch of money at players and overpaying them. That's just kind of what the Browns do. And yet here we are. And once again, I found myself, I find myself like relatively optimistic about the Browns. (laughs) And again, like I think this whole discussion, we can just basically start off by saying we are acknowledging that once again, the Browns suck. They've always sucked and they're always going to always going to suck. Okay. And yet, you know, there is room for some mild optimism when the team has talent and now seems to have adults at least running the team as opposed to, you know, who was running the team before. In theory. Um, so, you know, and there's there's a, there's a, a more logical thought process going into things, it seems, um, which is encouraging. So in terms of the actual moves, uh, you know, there's Jack Conklin, who's a right tackle. We can discuss him. To me, I mean, look, so when you're signing free agents, especially, you know, higher tier free agents, generally you're going to be overpaying. That's just how it works. Yeah. Because you have, because you have to outbid other teams. And also when you're the Browns, you're not going to get a discount from anybody. Uh, that's just True. how it works. I mean, if you're the Patriots or maybe even like the Packers, or the 49ers or some other teams like that, you might be able to get players a slight discount but when you're the cleveland browns that's not going to happen so you know the browns got austin hooper the tight end and jack conklin the right tackle as their major two free agents they overpaid both of them um but you know i'm i'm fine with both the moves i think conklin is a guy who fits a major major need and they gave him so much money up front that they're basically overpaying for this season when they don't really need the money anyways and paying him you know still a lot but I wouldn't say probably overpaying for the last two years of the deal. And he fits a need and he's a scheme fit, you know, for the offensive line that the Browns are going to need going forward. And I think it's the same thing with, with Austin Hooper, you know, he's tight end has been kind of a hole for the Browns. David Njoku has not panned out and they overpaid for a guy. And yet I think tight end is a position which has been underpaid. I think there's a market correction due there. And, the Browns needed a tight end and they got the best one available and they probably overpaid a little bit. But mm-hmm. I think if you're signing guys that fit needs, fit the scheme, you know, are adults, 
you know, they don't have any negative history associated with them. And they're also importantly young players, which has definitely been, it seems like a priority for the new front office. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm really okay with overpaying both of them because like I said, if you're going to add people through a free agency, it's going to be an overpay, but at least you're going to overpay guys that, you know, can really help your team win theoretically. Well, it's also pretty rare in this nowadays, and this is a this off season is different than many others, where you're seeing the quality of talent available not being not because teams there's something wrong with them, but because teams are just not willing to maybe pay them a massive salary in their second contract because of the new with the collective bargaining agreement. Now you can replace a player for a lot cheaper than maybe signing them to that next extension. Like the Fal, for instance, the Falcons went and traded for Hayden Hurst. They overpaid and got a second round pick for Hayden Hurst after getting losing Austin Hooper, but now they're paying him less money because of that. So, you know, teams well, make those sacrifices. Austin Hooper is, I think the Falcons probably would have liked to keep Austin Hooper, but they're in salary cap hell. So they just weren't really able to. Right. And I think for both of them, starting with Jack Conklin, I mean, he was an all pro as a rookie and he had a, and he struggled a little bit the next year. He had a season ending knee injury but really, other than that, Jack Conklin has been one of the better right tackles in the NFL for the last – pretty much since he entered the league in the last five years. He's someone that is from the area. He know, he played in the Big Ten, so we're familiar with him. I remember watching him play at Michigan State. He's a really good run blocker. He's a pretty good pass blocker. I wouldn't say he's elite, but I think he can help open up some of those outside runs that – I think the Browns had a lot of success with last year when they were able to run the ball with Nick Chubb. He was able to get outside of those tackles and kind of make people miss and get to the next level along with Kareem Hunt when he's out in the passing game. So I think that could help at least solidify the right side where last year Chris Hubbard was basically a turnstile the entire season and made it really difficult on top of the fact that our left tackle position wasn't settled, but the right tackle position now we know is taken care of. And then at least with Austin Hooper, Best case scenario, he um, helps unlock David Njoku, and we have two really good pass-catching tight ends that can diversify our offense. Worst case, we at least have one reliable pass-catcher in the middle of the field while um, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry are kind of trying to go win in the peripheries or winning at the catch point as opposed to Hooper, who will probably have more open looks because of those two. Yeah, so Hooper is a high-character guy, at least – that's it, what it seems so far throughout his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, and he's a reliable target who's going to be in the right place. He's going to catch the ball. He's not an explosive down the field option, but Baker Mayfield last year struggled really, really badly. And also I think a lot of that was obviously, you know, the offense was a disaster in general, but I, I think that adding a reliable big target is something that, can be really helpful for him because I think last year there just wasn't that guy in the middle of the field that was, you know, usually open for those intermediate gains. And I think that can be something that's really helpful for Baker Mayfield to where he kind of knows he has that safety blanket there. And Conklin, like you said, I think going into the offseason, I think, you know, improving the pass protection was a major priority for the Browns. And I don't think that Conklin is a great pass protector. I think he's average to above average, but it's also important to note that, you know, the scheme is going to improve dramatically the, the pass protection because last year, it Bill was Callahan. Just, thank you. Last year, it was just a disaster. And yeah, like you said, the Browns have Bill Callahan, who is one of the best offensive line coaches probably in the history of football. If we're being honest, I don't mm-hmm. think that's an exaggeration. I mean, he made um, Eric Flowers look good last year. For those who don't know, Eric Flowers is one of the worst offensive linemen you'll ever see, and 
he made him look good. Yeah, and Bill Callahan's been a head coach, you know, college in the NFL before me. He's been around forever. But so my point about Jack Conklin is, you know, the Browns are going to be doing a lot of play action. They're going to be doing a lot of bootlegs. And he is that right side of the bootleg. And he's a fantastic run blocker, like you said. And the Browns are going to run that zone scheme. That's basically what he had success doing last year for Tennessee. So I think if you look at a guy that is the type of player they need at that position, even if he's not a great pass protector, if I, I don't think they're going to leave him out there on an island one-on-one over and over again. I think he's going to be you know, working with the bootlegs, working with the play action and mauling people in the run game. And the fact that the Browns' run game was so good last year wasn't really because the scheme or the blocking was that great. It was mostly just because of the individual excellence of Nick Chubb. And if you can imagine Nick Chubb with, you know, a much more cohesive blocking scheme and, you know, uh, one of the best run blockers at right tackle in the NFL, that's, you know, if, if you're giving Nick Chubb a lot more open space and he's still Nick Chubb, I mean, I think the play-action game and the running game can be really, really good, and that's only going to help Baker Mayfield. So, Can we just briefly talk about how no one still talks about Nick Chubb as one of the best, like, five running backs in the NFL? Like, Well, yeah. It's it's, it's kind of disrespectful. It's because the Browns aren't good enough. That's why. But, I mean, let's be honest. If if the Browns would have made the playoffs last year, Nick Chubb could have been Derrick Henry, basically. You well, he I mean? should have won the rushing title. Or he was in. He lost it in the last week of the season. I mean, I, I just. Yeah. You're right. That's the reason I even asked it, just because Nick Chubb is just he's so underrated. And I think you, to your point, that blocking scheme is going to be so helpful in terms of just having a cohesive plan for him and really unlocking parts of our offense that we didn't get a chance to see at all. Yeah, I do think it'll be really important to kind of figure out the right guard situation, the left tackle situation, which we can talk about later. But I think Conklin and Hooper are kind of, you know, important cogs in a successful offense. And Kevin Stefanski has a vision for his offense. And, you know, this is the the offseason theme for the Browns is alignment. You know, that's that's the theme. It's the front office and the head coaching staff and and all the other coaches, all these people thinking, you know, alike in in a similar way and discussing you know, what the scheme is going to be and how free agents would fit in, et cetera, et cetera. And like I said, I, you know, I think that when you're getting free agents, you're going to overpay a little bit, and the Browns did. But I think it's fine because they're good players, they're young players, and they're players that fit into a specific role in a scheme that was a big position of need for the Browns. That's what free agency is for. Free agency is not for overhauling your whole roster or, you know, becoming a great team. Free agency is... When there's a player available who fits your scheme and is a massive upgrade that is a position that's holding your team back, you can go get him. And that's what the Browns have done. Yeah. I mean, we have one of the best right tackles in the NFL now on top of the fact that we have one of the more reliable uh, pass catching tight ends, which I think will also help David Njoku grow because we've all seen that when it comes to athleticism, Njoku has all of it in spades. He, he is much more athletic than Austin Hooper is, but Hooper is just so much more reliable as a blocker and a pass catcher. I think he could learn from him. And we saw last year in the offense with the Vikings that they did use two tight ends with Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph. Imagine having David Njoku and Austin Hooper being able to run in the middle of the field, creating havoc. I think that would open up the running game and also be able to open up our two receivers, which both can win one-on-one at almost any time. Yeah, the question, of course, with Najoku is still, is he going to block well enough? Is he going to run the correct route? Is he going to be, you know, mentally good enough to be 
you know, playing despite all of his physical talents. I mean, he showed a lot it, in Baker's what, rookie what, year. What round, what, what round draft pick would it take for you to get rid of him right now? Like, What, what would you accept for him, considering he's one year away from free agency? A f- uh, fifth. Yeah. So we're talking about Dave Njoku and how Austin Hooper can help him and how he can be an important piece of the offense. And yet, I don't think either of us really thinks that Njoku is going to be a long-term piece. No, probably just because it comes down to numbers in terms of how we pay people. Yeah. But I think for this season, you could see maybe it. And also the fact that he's in a contract year would allow him to learn with Austin Hooper, have a coaching staff that's more settled and in place. Maybe he can refine some of his pass catching skills because that was always the thing is that he's just inconsistent at the catch point. He's never going to be a great blocker, but who knows? You could see him in two tight end sets where maybe he's in line or they are more exotic where he's kind of just a big slot receiver or even put outside so Landry or Odell could go inside because he is athletic enough and has and is able to win at the catch point. So I think they could find creative ways to use him. And I think Stefanski is capable of doing that. But at the same time, it, it's going to be interesting to see if it even matters going forward long term because we did pay Hooper right. $10 million a year. And Najoku is going to probably want to prove himself as a starter. And it's just going to come down to numbers because the Browns, like we've said many times, are going to have to start paying people very soon. Yep. And I think there's a really strong chance that, you know, I think there's still a good chance the Browns do trade Njoku. I mean, I could definitely see them keeping him for a year, but if there's a tight end they like in the fourth or fifth round, it would not surprise me at all if they drafted a guy there and moved off to Njoku. They do, luckily, they do have Farrell Brown, who's not a pass catcher, but, you know, he's a really good blocker. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, as long as you have your number two tight end who can block, you know, that's at least you can throw him in there and, you know, he'll do the right thing most of the time. You know what I mean? Miss you, Darren Fells. So it's not like they need Najoku. If they can get to a situation where Najoku's helping and contributing and adding some, you know, dynamicness to the offense, if that's even a word, you know, that's great. But I also think there's a good chance that, you know, they end up moving on. So we'll find out. Yeah. But either way, I think both of us are in the same boat with Conklin and Hooper. They're overpays. You acknowledge that. You can't have a roster full of overpays. And yet they fill a need. They're good players. They're young. You know, it, it, the team is better with them on the roster and they're still, you know, there's still some money to spend this year. And, it, you know, we'll see if they spend it or not. But I, mean, I don't think that the Browns have killed themselves for those contracts. I think we both agree that we really that the Case Keenum signing was one of the better ones this offseason for them. Yeah, well, and see, the thing about Case Keenum is they have a guy like Drew Stanton before who's kind of a mentor for Baker Mayfield or whatever. And yet, you know, Drew Stanton is not going to really push Baker Mayfield. Right. And I think that, and I'm not saying that uh, Case Keenum's at all going to push for his job because it's not, you know, it's not a thing. Baker Mayfield's a starter, but I think Case Keenum is probably, you know, a lot more competitive in practice, you know, than Drew Stanton was. Drew Stanton was basically a coach and Case Keenum is still a very capable quarterback. He's not a starting caliber quarterback, but he's one of the very, very top backups in the NFL. And I think, you know, if the Browns are going to be a serious team going forward, Baker Mayfield has to improve dramatically. And having Case Keenum in the quarterback room is only going to help him in a lot of ways, especially considering Case Keenum's a guy who has actually played a lot recently as opposed to a guy like Drew Stanton who's basically just been a coach. And not only played, but played in Kevin Stefanski's offense a few years ago when the Vikings were, exactly. in, the, were in, what is it, the NFC? Was, it wasn't the NFC Championship game. It was the divisional round. They lost to the Saints at the end, but – uh that, they were good, though, with Case Keenum. K- yeah. Case Keenum had, I think he had 22 touchdowns and like seven interceptions that year playing for Kevin Stefanski in that offense. I mean, that was his, a career year he had, which is the reason why he got the contract in Denver to be the starter at that point, because he had shown 
his ability to work that offense. And I think part of it is that he knows the offense so he can teach Baker, but also worst case scenario, if Baker were to get hurt, because we saw last year, he got beat up a lot and still managed to complete a 16 game schedule. You could do a lot worse than having Case Keenum in there who knows the offense and is able to still go out there and put up numbers and maybe keep the Browns in games to a point where if Baker were to go down for four or five weeks, the Browns wouldn't be completely crippled. Right, and you're not going to make the, the playoffs or win anything with Case Keenum as your quarterback. But let's say last year, if Baker, if the Browns were, you know, maybe in the playoff race and Baker Mayfield missed a couple weeks, and you have Garrett Gilbert in there, you're just yeah, basically giving those games away. But Case Keenum is, you know, better than that. And I just think, you know, you're spending six million dollars on a backup quarterback, which is on the higher end for a backup quarterback, but it's not exorbitant for a guy who's been a starter very recently. And I think that if you're paying $6 million and he helps Baker Mayfield improve a lot, you're getting your money's worth easily. And in any instance, if Baker Mayfield gets hurt and you win a couple games with Case Keenum in there, then you're really getting your money's worth. And I think it's, you know, I think he's a professional quarterback and he's not great. That's why he's a backup. But having a professional quarterback in the quarterback room is going to be extremely valuable for Baker Mayfield and the coaching staff, especially considering, like you said, He's played for Stefanski before, not just the system, the exact coach, and they're trying to install all that new language. He's basically going to be a combination of, you know, a really good insurance policy and a coach at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really valuable to have kind of both of those things from your backup quarterback. Yeah, I think it's going to be something that's very crucial for the Browns moving forward. And you never know. And it'll be interesting to see how those two go. And then obviously they had some other signings as well that were more just kind of, you know, low risk, but potentially good reward for just adding some depth to our team. I mean, what did you, how'd you feel about some of those moves? Like, you know, Kevin Johnson or the cornerback, Andrew Billings, the defensive tackle. What, how, how did those move the needle for you? Well, it's interesting because I mean, obviously these signings are okay. So the Browns roster coming into this off season still had a lot of high-end talent. They have Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield, Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb. You know, they have Miles these, Garrett. Miles Garrett, yeah, sure. <laughs> and they have, they have all these high-end players, and yet the roster was a complete mess because, like, late last year, half of your – you know, they, they got blown out by the Bengals, and that was partly because Baker Mayfield isn't the same quarterback last year as he was the year before. Mm-hmm. But it's also partially because – they were playing so many guys who are just, who just weren't NFL players. And, you know, there were a lot of circumstances that led to that injuries and suspensions and et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately the reason also, uh, you know, players threatening to kill fans, that was also part of it. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was last year was a hell of a year, <laughs> but the reason the Browns were in that situation is par- partially because they just didn't have enough NFL players, not great players, not, not even like, surefire starters just guys that can go in there and do an adequate job and I think especially defensively more and more in the NFL you know I think there's been a lot of you know kind of research that is showing that if you have a lot of guys that aren't bad that's a lot better than having some guys that are great and some guys that are bad and that's basically what the Browns have done this offseason is they've added a bunch of guys who aren't bad who can play a role who can play in a rotation who can fill in if someone's, you know, hurt. They're, they're going to be professional NFL players. They're not going to have a roster where 
if someone gets hurt, if someone gets suspended, if there's some injuries, whatever, they're going to have a bunch of absolute scrubs out there. And that's, you know, the, the signings are all very low risk because they're almost all, aside from the ones we already talked about, one-year deals. And, and young players, too. That's the thing is, too. They're all exactly. That's the thing. This front office has basically said, you know, we're not going to sign a bunch of late 20s guys. We're going to sign guys to one-year deals. And what that means is if they work, if they're good, you can re-sign them and keep them as a starter or keep them as a rotation piece, whatever you want to do. And if they're not good, then you move on next year with no cost to you. And I think the only thing I don't like about it, I think it's a, it's a great strategy. I'll say that. I think it's very smart to have – this is going to be a shocking sentence. It's very smart to have legitimate NFL players on your roster. <laughs> wow. Who would have fucking thought, right? The only thing I don't like about it is the NFL is the, the one sport where contracts aren't guaranteed. So you can sign a guy for three years and you, and you know, he's there for the first year. And if he sucks, you get rid of him. If he's still good, it's basically like a team option where NFL teams can just keep deciding if they want to have a guy for that price. That's a massive, massive advantage for NFL teams. And unfortunately with all these one-year deals, the Browns don't really get that advantage. And I think a lot of these players sign one-year deals because they would rather have one year at a lower salary to prove themselves than go out there and get a big deal as opposed to getting a two- or three-year deal on minimal money. For example, Terrence Mitchell, who's staying on the Browns roster basically because he's not bad and is getting paid nothing. He got like a three- or four-year deal, only half of it's guaranteed. So basically the Browns can just keep going forward with Terrence Mitchell saying, sure, we'll give him a couple million dollars to be a decent cornerback. So, I, you know, I wish that some of these deals were actually a little bit longer with those non-guaranteed years on there. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a smart strategy because you're having no risk, you're having adults in the room, and you're having a chance to, to re-sign these guys if they work out. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Johnson was a productive member of both the of the Texans secondary once he was healthy and also the Bills secondary this past year, and that's why he was able to – uh, that's why the Browns signed him because he did show some of those characteristics he had coming out of Wake Forest uh, when they drafted him in the first round, the Texans did. And then Andrew Billings was a pick out of Baylor. He was a super athletic defensive tackle, but he's not really much of a pass rusher. But the Browns didn't really necessarily have someone behind Oak and Joby and Sheldon Richardson that we both begged for last year to kind of just like be in the middle and just stop the run game because those two guys are much more pushing up the middle of the field and trying to get to the pass, trying to get to the quarterback. Now, Sheldon Richardson did improve throughout the year. He actually really surprised me with the way he started to play at, as the year went on. But we did never had that third defensive tackle that could come in and just be a behemoth in the middle of the of the defensive line and just stop some of that running game. Because remember how bad last year the Browns needed to stop the run in certain situations, and they just couldn't. They were just getting gashed game after game. Yeah, you know, like I said, it's just having professional football players instead of a bunch of scrubs is very helpful. And I think and we forget about Carl Joseph too. Yeah. Yeah. The Brown in, and, and the, the, so basically coming into the off season, you're looking at the Brown safeties and, and it's just like, there's nobody there. There's no the, Browns <laughs> the Browns had almost zero legitimate NFL safeties on their roster. And they have Carl Joseph on a one year deal. Who's a guy who's had an up and down career. He's had a lot of big hits, but he's had a lot of injuries as well. So if he plays really well this year, and that's a guy maybe you keep long-term. If he doesn't, then you know he's not an option there. But the Browns are – it's not ideal to be in a situation where you've got two years left of rookie contract Nick Chubb 
and two years left of rookie contract Baker Mayfield and one year left of rookie contract Miles Garrett. Don't forget two years of Denzel Ward. Right, two years of Denzel Ward. The list goes on and on. You've got all these young guys on cheap deals right now that are part of your core. Ideally, you would be, you know, contending right now while you have that advantage of paying some of your top players not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And the Browns, unfortunately, are in a situation where, you know, they are basically going to have another year of, you know, analyzing the roster and the talent because they have a new regime. So I think it's unfortunate from that circumstance the Browns are in this situation because they're signing these guys to one-year deals who are, you know, maybe going to be part of the future, maybe not. I think it's smart the way they've done it. It's just unfortunate they're in this situation again where, you know, they're evaluating for a year. And that's not to say the Browns can't be competitive this year, but I don't have any expectations the Browns are going to make the playoffs this year because it's not often that, you know, first-year head coaches come in and make the the playoffs in that first year. Right. Um, So I think you can say it's both unfortunate the Browns are still in the situation where they have guys they're signing for the short term just to kind of be a Band-Aid and find out if they're going to be good or not. And yet, you know, it does make sense because they're low risks or almost no risk deals and they could be, you know, pieces going forward. And the Browns have, like I said, you know, actual NFL players instead of just, you know, random guys off the street like Porter Gustin and Brian Cox and no offense to those guys, but, you know. Don't forget about your boy Janovich now. The Browns were on their like sixth or seventh guy at several positions last year so yeah we got your favorite fullback too we got andy janovich i think is his name andy janovich is apparently extremely excited to come to cleveland because someone told him they drink a lot of bush light here that's all he drinks (laughs) so i'm sure i'm sure he'll be a fan favorite so i want my fullback almost immediately but you know what the browns gave up a seventh round pick for a guy who's considered one of the better fullbacks in the nfl and the reason that can happen is because not every team uses a fullback and a lot of teams that do use a fullback do so kind of sparingly. Kevin Stefanski is one of the guys that, you know, really emphasizes having a fullback out there for what, maybe 40, 50% of the snaps because of the way he runs his offense. So it was a position of need and you gave up, you know, basically nothing to get him. And that's, you know, I, it, Orson Charles was that guy for Baker Mayfield in his rookie year. He was kind of the H back that was there to help and block right. and for the running game, but also be able to get out a little bit in the, flats and catch a pass i think that's something that's very important to a player like baker mayfield to have someone like that to help in the running game along with helping blocking him because obviously as a shorter quarterback he's not going to be able to see everybody coming at him so having that extra person to block for him and the running back is going to be incredibly helpful and like you said he janovich has come very highly recommended by a lot of people you ever think about where the browns would be right now if uh if the old regime was still here which regime? Dorsey and Kitchens? Yeah. If if John, if John Dorsey was still here, you ever think about what the Browns roster would look like right now? I think we'd be incredibly talented, but like this past season, we would have some serious flaws and in, in important areas on the team. I mean, it's just funny to think about because I think the vast majority of these moves wouldn't have happened if John Dorsey was still here. And looking back on it, Looking back on it, I really don't think John Dorsey did that great of a job. I think John Dorsey made some brilliant draft picks. Especially in 2017. In terms of his his free agency and his, you know, um, team culture building and his trade value kind of history. I mean, he really made a lot of major mistakes. And I think 
it was so exciting when John Dorsey was here because really talented players came into the Browns and yet the team still sucked. And, and I think it's nice to see a front office going forward that seems to have more of a plan than ah, throw a bunch of talented players together. We'll figure shit out later. You know what I mean? It seems like there's actually a reason behind a lot of the things they're doing. Yes. And it, uh, again, it does not guarantee success at all. It's, this is the Cleveland Browns. They, they suck. They've always sucked and they're always going to suck, but <laughs> it's at least nice to see something that seems to have some type of thought and sense going into it. And I think, that's what's happening with, you know, a lot of these offseason moves so far. Yeah. No, I think it's going to be interesting to see going forward how all this um, meshes together, especially compared to just the crazy, just the terrible uh, communication and the terrible coaches we've had over the last few years, especially now that Dorsey is gone and kind of we don't have a specific czar of football operations that's overpowering. We have an entire group making decisions, which was part of the reason why Alonzo Highsmith and Elliot Wolf are no longer here, because they felt it seems like that they didn't really get to make as many decisions as a lot of us seemed to think that they did, because it seemed like Dorsey was doing a lot of the decision making while Highsmith and Wolf were just kind of scouting for him. Yeah. And because partially because of those guys, you know, the Browns had a lot of talent because they had really good talent evaluators, but they didn't really seem to have a cohesive vision. And God, I know that cohesive vision and, you know, having a like mindset is like the whole theme. That's all I talk about. But like, that is really important, you know? So I don't know, we'll see again. It, it doesn't guarantee the Browns anything and we'll find out, but I'm, you know, I'm a Browns fan. So I acknowledge that things are generally going to be terrible, but I so far have, you know, mostly liked, you know, the things that I've seen. Yeah. So going forward, you know, you and I kind of talked before the podcast and we are in agreement. The Browns biggest hole by far is left tackle. Yeah. It's not Uh, even close. There's also a potential hole at right guard, depending on if you think guys on the current roster can be a starter there, be it Chris Hubbard or Drew Forbes, Drew Forbes. Yeah. Also the Browns basically have no depth at wide receiver behind Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. Um, Richard Higgins has not been re-signed. Depend, I mean, they've got a bunch of just kind of random developmental type guys. Yeah. Um, linebacker, it's still totally unclear. I mean, Mac Wilson's a starter. I, n- no one knows if he's going to be a good NFL starter or not, but because of the talent he has, he's basically been penciled in at one linebacker spot. Mm-hmm. The other linebacker spot, I mean, we signed B.J. Goodson. Uh, you know, I, I think best-case scenario – He's a guy that has some success on first and second down, then leaves on third down. Um, he seems like our Darius Taylor this year. Yeah, that's not not a long-term option at linebacker. And I think safety as well. I mean, you know, I think that Carl Joseph can be a strong safety. I think, you know, Andrew Sandejo can be a free safety, I guess. But, I mean, he's really a third safety. Yeah, he's a backup and a special so, teamer. The Browns need a starting left tackle. They probably need a starting right guard. They need a third receiver. They probably need a starting linebacker. And they probably need a starting safety. And linebacker and safety, they have some guys now who are at least capable fill-ins. But I think going forward, they definitely still need long-term options there. Yes. So the Browns have the 10th pick, the 41st pick, and two third-round picks. They still have some cap space, but I think that for the most part, they're done signing starters. So Graham and I were kind of just going to basically debate the the different ways the rest of the offseason could go 
Um, so we'll start off with, with left tackle. So the options that we've considered for the Browns are, one, you just draft a left tackle 10th overall, plug them in from day one and see what happens. Number two, uh, you could trade a third-round pick for Trent Williams and pay him uh, for the rest of his you know, starting prime, which, I mean, his prime is probably already over, but he's still a capable left tackle, you would think, despite the fact he didn't play last year. Yeah. Or you could also sign a guy like Jason Peters, who is old as holy shit, but still, <laughs> but still capable, and maybe draft a left tackle in the second or third round. Um, so out of those, you know, I would definitely pick a left tackle 10th. It seems almost like it makes too much sense because there's, you know, there are two sh- seems like surefire left tackles, maybe three, and there's at least four that are, you know, talented offensive linemen that will be in that range at 10. Now, a couple of those guys will probably be gone, but, you know, I think it's safe to say the Browns could get a guy that you're at least comfortable starting day one and hoping he can be, you know, at least average as a rookie and maybe better and then left tackle the future. Uh, I don't think that giving up a third round pick for the right to pay 32 year old Trent Williams is something the Browns are looking to do because I think their whole philosophy so far has been to stay young and, you know, not overpay in terms of draft picks and money for guys that are older. Uh, He would be a massive upgrade day one, but I think given the injury history, and the age and having to pay him and give up a draft pick. I don't see that as a viable move. Um, I think if the Browns were going to sign Jason Peters and draft a guy, not in the first round, they would have to really not feel strongly about the guys that were available at 10 and really, really like someone, you know, in the second or third round. And that's, that to me is a very risky option considering how important a position left tackle is. Yeah. That's the worst of the three options for sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think if you wanted to, for the argument for Trent Williams, it would be, you know, this has been a guy who's been a proven Pro Bowl caliber left tackle in the NFL for a number of years. He has been one of the best left tackles in the league. And only one of the few reasons Washington has even been able to protect quarterbacks over the last few years. Uh, He also did play for Bill Callahan in Washington. So he does have familiarity with our zone blocking scheme. So he'd be able to come in and immediately be able to protect Baker Mayfield. And he has shown that ability and, but at the same time, and you could probably pay him, you know, at this point, it seems, I think he's starting to understand that he's not going to get 15 to $18 million a year. Like he expected because a, he didn't play for a full year and B he is an older player. But I think what the Browns could do is a similar situation to Jack Conklin, where they could throw a lot of money at Trent Williams in year one and then offer him like a three-year deal worth maybe something similar to Jack Conklin, where it's just, more guaranteed money up front and then it's a little bit less the last couple years where he can maybe get like, some incentives for like maybe for like snaps maybe like three years 50 and give him like 20 guaranteed year one something like that yeah and then the other year and then every year's incentive like he could get like a certain amount of incentive for like percent of snaps played because he he does have injury issues that could be a concern and if he were to go down that'd be that left tackle would be a major hole on the other hand, if he does stay healthy, and you could you then reserve that number 10 pick to potentially get a defensive player that would be able to help this defense that right now um, is really lacking a lot of, uh, like you said, good, competent players other than the ones that we've just drafted in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think so. If, and a third if round Bra- pick's not bad for him. I think the only way that that would work for me is if the Browns internally just really didn't like 
the guys they believe will be available at 10. Yeah. And I think, I think that that move would have to happen, you know, during the draft, ideally. I think the Browns, I think the Browns, no matter what, absolutely need to wait to at least see who's available at 10 before they make a move like that. And I think that if they talk to Washington and, you know, before the draft, they're going to have an idea of what it takes to get Trent Williams. Now, Washington and Trent Williams, I think both of them are a little bit ridiculous in thinking about what they're going to get. I think Trent Williams, like you said, it's unfortunate for Trent Williams because, you know, Washington really did him dirty. Basically, they had a doctor who, you know, acted like, you know, there uh, there was a serious, serious health issue for Trent Williams that a team doctor basically acted like it was nothing and put Trent Williams' life at risk. And, you know, he's decided that, he doesn't want to play for that organization anymore. And understandably so. Him. Yeah. I don't blame him for that. But also I think he needs to acknowledge that he's 32 and didn't play all of last year and has an injury history. I think he's a great player when he's healthy. Um, but you know, he's not a guy who, if he was a free agent, would get massive, massive money. And I think for Washington, they need to understand there's not much leverage left for them because, you know, teams have seen this whole debacle go down and you know, they're understanding that Trent Williams is an older guy and they have to pay him for when you trade for him. NFL teams generally, unless you are an absolute stud, are not going to trade a draft pick for the right to pay you. And that's just not how things work. So if the Browns really don't like any of the options that are available at 10, I'd be okay with trading our second third round pick for Trent Williams. But I wouldn't want to give up, you know, our first third round pick or definitely not a second round pick because again, it's like a free agent signing, except you're also giving up a draft pick. And I just think value-wise, it doesn't really work for me, especially considering his age. And that's also the same reason why the Browns have, were not able to go after uh, Anthony Harris from the Vikings, because they franchise-tagged right. him and want at least a second-round pick for him. And for a lot of people, a lot of experts, they were pegging him as a potential option for the Browns because he was familiar with Al Woods, because he was in Minnesota when Al Woods was the defensive backs coach, the new defensive coordinator. And then on top of that, he had a breakout year this past year as a free safety. So now the Browns have to decide if they want to pay a second or third round pick for a guy that is 29 and had just become a full-time starting safety and want to pay him what safeties are getting paid now, which last year the safety market really boomed because, I mean, Earl Thomas was making, I think, $14 million a year when he signed with the, with the Ravens last year. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the thing is maybe during the draft – something like that can go down. But I think for now, the Browns have been balking at the price for both of those guys. And I think that's the smart way to go because really good front offices don't give up draft picks for the right to pay guys. I mean, you see it like with the Patriots in New England and not every organization is going to be like New England because they're an outlier. But New England has continuously traded players for draft picks, moved down in the draft, moved off of players a year early. They understand that value says that you know, giving up draft capital and paying people a lot of money is just not something that builds a long-term winner. And I think the Browns' current front office, despite the fact they have those guys on rookie contracts, is not, you know, being too short-sighted and just trying to fling a bunch of draft picks and money at guys to build a talented roster now, because I think that was one of the mistakes of the Browns' previous regime. So, you know, I... I don't think Trent Williams is going to be on the Browns. I don't think they're willing to give up what's necessary. And I think if that's the case, really, with as important as left tackle is and with as many options are going to, that are going to be available at 10, at least one or two, I really think the Browns need to find, you know, one of those guys they like enough to be a left tackle of the future, especially considering if you draft a left tackle who's good, 
you have a left tackle on a rookie contract for four years. Right. No, um, it, it'll be interesting to see because, I mean, they've been connected to Trent Williams for what it seems like forever now since the trade deadline. And now they're still connected to him. At least now we won't ha- wouldn't have to give up a first round pick for him. Like it seemed like we would have to originally. And it maybe the demands are lower, but it's still an interesting debate on, you know, is it worth it or should we, or are they going to like one of these four tackles enough in the draft, which, you know, it's going to be interesting to find out. I'll say this. Trent Williams is currently asking for his release from the Redskins. I doubt he get it. Cause, he gets it because there's still value there and the Redskins have obviously shown they don't really give a shit about him as a person. If somehow he gets released and he's a free agent, sign him. I would be very much okay with giving him premium, premium money as long as two years or less of it is guaranteed. You can't guarantee more than two years for a guy his age, but if you can sign Trent Williams, even if it's big money, I think you can do it because like I said, when he's healthy, you know, he's still a really good left tackle. Yeah, um, imagine having Trent Williams and Jack Conklin as your tackles after yeah. a year after having Greg Robinson and Chris Hubbard. So another thing we were debating is what to do about Odell Beckham Jr. So the problem with Odell Beckham Jr. is, well, okay. I don't think Odell Beckham Jr. is as much of a, a drama issue causing person as some people believe, but what I see him is he's 5'11". He's relied on his athleticism. Now, he's a great route runner, sure, but he's relied a lot on athleticism and speed. He's getting older. He's not old yet, but, you know, he's not. Is he only 27 or yeah, 26? He, 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 he should still be in his prime in terms of age. The problem for me is the injury history, and I think that every year you go – now, everyone's saying that this year he should be healthy, so it should be different. But Odell Beckham Jr.'s, the injury history is really, really starting to add up over the last couple of years, last two or three or four years. And I'm just really hoping that, you know, he's not damaged goods going forward to where he plays sometimes, sometimes he doesn't play, he's not 100%. You know, I, I think that there's potential for Odell Beckham Jr. to have a very, very steep aging curve. And I think that there's potential for him to be, you know, already leaving his prime. Uh, I would be shocked if we ever see the Odell Beckham Jr. we saw two or three years ago. But no, that doesn't mean he can't still be a wide receiver one. But I would be very, very open to trading him if I could get decent value. Uh, The Browns gave up a lot for him. It ended up being too much. I think all of us would agree. Um, And again, the Browns need talent around Baker Mayfield. That's the problem is if you trade Odell Beckham Jr., you have to go get more receivers. Um, so I think for me, if some team offered me a mid second round pick, you know, or maybe like an early second round pick or a, maybe a mid second round pick or a late second and a third, I would, I would be, I would seriously consider pulling the trigger on Oba on trading him because you still have Jarvis Landry, you added Austin Hooper, you still have a good run game and this draft is really, really deep in terms of wide receiver. So I think that there'd definitely be some guys you could get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and I mean, for a lot of people, you know, he didn't get a chance to do the off season work, which means he really, there was no chemistry with him and Baker at all throughout the season. And there was a lot of games when you watched and you just forgot he was even out in the field, which for a lot of Browns fans, that was not what we were expecting when we traded that our first round and our third round pick along with Kevin Zeitler, basically to get him and, on top of that, we could use 
if I were the Browns, if I was going to trade him, I would probably call San Francisco because last offseason, San Francisco was potentially willing to trade their first round pick for him had it not been so high because last year the 49ers ended up picking Nick Bosa uh, with their pick, which, you know, pretty good pick despite seeing what he yeah. did, especially not, what he did to the Browns. He, he's not bad. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if the but they did just make a trade where they and they have the 31st pick this year. If I'm them, if you could get 30 offer 31 for Odell Beckham, that team really never had a number one wide receiver. And now I know for some people they say, well, that's because they don't have they don't need one. All I'm, I think that would be a place where he would be motivated, a place where he'd be in a great program. And then I think on top of that, if he could stay healthy with George Kittle in them, then maybe you could understand trading him and then using that 31st pick to get a wide receiver for the Browns who could then grow with Baker because it just seems like maybe Odell wasn't going to cut it. However, it's, he is going to be pretty low on value. Like you said, you, like you said, you would take a mid second round pick for him. Yeah. That's the problem is you're trading low after an off season after you traded high. Yeah. So that's the problem is that I, I don't know if it's worth trading Odell for say the 50th pick of the draft to then take a wide receiver that, you maybe has doesn't have as much of an injury history, but you have no idea if they're going to be successful in the NFL. Right. Odell, we know he even we know he's going to be successful in the NFL when he is healthy. And obviously, having Jarvis Landry here is helpful because he last year he really didn't create a lot of off the field issues as well for the Browns, which was a big problem or was a big rumor when he was in New York that he was a problem. But it seemed like it was far from that, and he actually endeared himself into a lot of. Uh, Cleveland fans this past season he actually a lot of people didn't know that he donated blankets to a men's shelter and a lot of the people there really thanked him and he has become a big part of the community with working with Jarvis so I think people would be sad to see him go in that aspect but um, but football wise he's just you just can't trade a guy with that talent for beans at this point compared to what you got before and that was again that was a mistake by John Dorsey for the amount that he did give up to trade for Odell. Yeah, and I think if Odell Beckham Jr. hadn't gotten hurt early in the season last year, that trade could get a lot different. It could look a lot different right now. And yet, you know, he has been hurt several times. I mean, almost every year he has some type of, you know, major or minor injury that causes him to miss time. And, you know, I, I'm i just questioning over time, you can only have so many injuries before your body just isn't really the same anymore. And yeah. You know, he had the visor and the shoes and the, you know, and it's like, again, I don't give a shit what visor or shoes he wears. I don't think the NFL should either. And yet they do. And he knows they do. And he still keeps, you know, kind of provoking in a sense. And again, again, like it's stupid. There's he should be able to wear whatever the hell shoes and visor he wants. It's dumb. But yet he knows those rules are in place. And it seems like to me, maybe I'm overreacting, but it seems like to me that's somewhat of a selfish move to basically draw attention upon yourself and again he should i think the rule is stupid but it's the rule is still there and i can't change that rule and he can't change that rule do you know what i mean and i don't think he's a bad teammate or a bad guy but at a certain point if the browns are trying to build a certain organizational culture i think there is somewhat of a question as to whether odell beckham fits into that culture or not and I don't know the answer to that. I don't know Odell's a person. I'm sure he's a perfectly good dude. But it, what I'm saying is if if the price is right, I would pull the trigger on it because, you know, I think 
the downside risk going forward is that he's just never the same because of injuries. And that's not great considering everything the Browns gave up. But time is the only thing that's going to tell with Odell. There, really, there's any next year, Odell could have 1,500 yards and 12 touchdowns where he could play four games and get traded for a sixth round pick. I, I really, I think anything is is possible for him considering how talented he is, but also how many injuries he's had. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think Stefanski will also do a good job because I think he, he, under, he understands the Devers series. I mean, he dealt with Stefan Diggs in Minnesota. I think he understands that stuff. Yeah. Well, and he runs a lot of play action, which should theoretically help Odell get open. And I think last year you're looking at the Browns offense and they just, you know, really didn't use him properly. And I think Baker missed him a lot too. So I think Odell also did drop I, passes to be fair. And, and Odell, I think if Odell's healthy and the offense improves and Baker improves, you could see a big year. And I think no matter what he should, you know, have a better season barring catastrophic injury than he did this year. Uh, but my question is going forward, what's more valuable, you know, a guy who you're picking in the early second round or mid second round, paying him a rookie deal or Odell Beckham around $15 million a year. That's my thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, and, it'll be know, interesting to see what they decide. If you're going to trade Odell, you know, maybe you can give up, you know, uh, maybe, maybe the Browns absolutely love a wide receiver at 10 and they have a, uh, an offer on the table for Odell. They get to 10, you know, the two guys they love at left tackle are gone and they want to draft one of those super high end wide receivers. And maybe if they do that, then maybe they move Odell for, you know, a late second, and then they can move a third for Trent Williams. And, you know, you end up drafting wide receiver high and not drafting a tackle at all. You know, I think these are all possibilities. And I think ultimately it just comes down to what value do the Browns like for the players they have, what value do they have on the guys in the draft, what value do they have on the draft picks, you know. So it's just uh, – it. I still think that it looks obvious the plan going forward is draft left tackle at 10 – you know, get some depth defensive options in the second and third rounds, things like that. I think that seems like the obvious plan going forward. But I think that considering this regime is not the regime that traded for Odell, I think there's still a lot of options going forward and pieces that could move, especially, you know, during the draft. Because I think a lot of trades go down during the draft that have been basically rumored or discussed for the months leading up to it, you know. Now those those uh, trade discussions are going to be interesting this year with the fact that the draft's actually not going to be happening like the way it usually is because of the coronavirus. I mean, there's going to be they're not going to have these massive meetings of people with everyone in one room. They're going to be doing a lot of it virtually or remotely. So it'll be interesting to see how maybe some of that affects some of the trade discussion. Because you're right, there's going to be I think there could be some movement for the Browns, whether it's with Odell or with some with Trent Williams, to where you know, maybe some things get complicated and they're going to have to decide whether which thing is more reliable for them, just drafting someone at 10 or maybe doing some research and then trading a third round pick for an offensive lineman. Tell me which of these three paths you like the best. Number one is keep Odell, draft the left tackle first, draft defense and wide receiver in the second and third round. Option two is trade Odell, for let's say a mid second round pick then you let's say draft a wide receiver at 10 trade a third for Trent Williams option number three would be option number three would be trade Odell draft a left tackle uh, at 10 draft a wide receiver in the second round and sign kind of a, a Rashard Higgins type wide receiver which of those three do you like the best 
Well, at first I thought I was going to easily say the first one, but now the second one doesn't sound terrible. I mean, if you trade for a wide receiver, if you trade Odell Beckham, I do know that a lot of people have been comparing Jerry Judy from Alabama to Odell Beckham in terms of the way he runs routes and the way he gets open. And he doesn't have nearly the injury history that uh, Odell has. And I think he could be someone that could actually fit in pretty seamlessly with Jarvis um, because obviously we know Jarvis is going to stick around. And I think that could be something that, you know, if they decide to do that, they could draft someone at 10 and then be able to, in the second round, to take, you know, a safety and a linebacker. Uh, the third option is probably the one I would not do just because. Agreed. You know, if you trade Odell for a mid second round pick and then you draft a left tackle, that's great. But then you, you maybe have a good offensive line, but then you have Jarvis and then you're back to the problem you had the first year with, with Baker where he had pretty much no weapons outside of Jarvis. I think drafting a wide receiver at 10, considering the way the wide receivers in this draft are talked about, is my ideal scenario. There's if, three that, really good ones that are worth the 10th pick. That's, exactly. That's what I'm saying. But that's if you can get a mid-second round pick for Odell Beckham Jr., which I have a lot of doubt about. And that's if you can convince the Redskins to give you Trent Williams for your second, third round pick. Um, and that if the Browns do that, by the way, they would have probably the highest paid offensive line in football. And I don't think it'd be close. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're paying Trent Williams, uh, Joel Batonio, J.C. Treader, and Jack Conklin, and, uh, and Jack Conklin, I mean, that's like that's a lot. But yet, you know, if you have a, a rookie, a rookie contract, quarterback, wide receiver, defensive end, and cornerback, you can pay your offensive line all that money. And be and also if you're trading Odell Beckham Jr. So, in a vacuum, right now. Would you rather pay Odell Beckham Jr. $15 million or Trent Williams $15 million? I've, it's, Trent, it's Trent Williams for me. Uh, depend, I mean, if they both have health vacuum. questions, then – In a vacuum. But, yeah, left tackle, probably – I'd probably go for the left tackle. Yeah. So, you know, there you go. That's I, – I think the speculation about trading for Trent Williams, trading Odell Beckham, things like that, I think that speculation is – is is far from over this offseason considering you know how the browns could move these pieces around but i think if you can get a legitimate you know mid second round pick for odell or equivalent equivalent value maybe you get 31 from san francisco and you give up your first you know your second third round pick something like that if you can do that and you're confident that you can get trent williams for you know not an exorbitant cost i think that's an avenue that you really have to consider because i just Odell's health really scares me going forward. And you know what? Maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way because Trent Williams has health issues too. But, um, you know, I just think that Odell really scares me going forward. And, you know, maybe he's great. Maybe he's not. We're going to find out. Um, the my, last kind of thing, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say my dream scenario would be you, we get Trent Williams, we keep Odell, and then we are able to use our picks that we have to maybe trade up for maybe Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson. Well, that would just be insane because Isaiah imagine Simmons, right? Mac Wilson and Isaiah Simmons, just like roaming the linebacking court, just trucking people. You think Isaiah Simmons is a linebacker? He, I mean, he can do both. He can be a linebacker. Yeah. He could be a strong safety, but imagine like if you have a nickel thing and as a nickel backer, he's the guy That's guarding tight it. ends. He's the guy guarding a big slot. tight Right. End. He's the one guarding a slot receiver. He's the one guarding a running back. Meanwhile, Mac Wilson can, fill in the gaps and be athletic because he's good in pass coverage side to side. But Simmons is also a really good blitzer and is able to disrupt in the running game. So 
Yeah, I and he's he is a freak of an athlete. Like he is an absolute monster. I think he's like six four two thirty, and six four two thirty eight, and he ran a four four. Yeah, like he is a literal that's freak. That's basically, Calvin Johnson at linebacker. Yeah, like I think he would be such. He's a perfect fit for pretty much anybody in this draft. I think he's someone that everybody would like to have on their team because he's just a yeah. chess piece. Which in the NFL now, if you have a defensive player like that, that's just amazing and imagine having i just imagine him and mac wilson roaming and allowing the browns to really just kind of rush for because if and we didn't even talk about you know keeping olivier vernon or cutting him but whether you have olivier vernon or another pass rusher those guys along with the rest of the defensive line with isaiah simmons at linebacker i think would be something that would really help the defense just because it would allow the secondary and the linebackers kind of sit back and just react as opposed to having to constantly cover people one-on-one or do these weird coverages that, uh, that Wilkes was running at times last year. And that's the thing about Simmons is, you know, some people are kind of scared off by the fact that he could be a top five pick, but doesn't have a specific position. That's why but I love man, Jabril Peppers, bro. And he's if you're, if you're, jacked up Jabril Peppers. If you're on third down and you can toss him in there as an up safety or as a linebacker on third down, I mean, you, he can do, anything like you said he can get to the passer the passer he can you know fill the gap on a on a third and one running play he can cover that tight end I mean that it's just he can guard wide receivers I I think that people are scared off by you know not not many people by the way he's going to be a top five draft pick yeah I think that I think some people are saying they wouldn't use a third round draft pick on him he doesn't have a specific position but the point is, he can be good at any position. He's not a jack of all trades. He's a king of all trades. That's the thing that's so special about him. I would be willing so, to trade up. I would be willing to trade our first round pick this year, our second round pick this year, and probably our second round pick next year to move up and take him. Oh my god! Okay, now you're just talking crazy. No, I'm, so, I'm dead serious. He god, is Jesus. He is that much of a game changer, and he would be a he'd be one of the defensive chess pieces. Imagine having a defensive core of Miles Garrett, Isaiah Simmons, and Denzel Ward. It's not bad. Yeah, that's pretty good. You know, Denzel Ward, Odell Beckham Jr., Olivier Vernon, Trent Williams. A lot of these guys are injury-prone players. Olivier, well, we didn't even talk about Olivier Vernon. I mean, do you, I think we should just cut him at this point. Well, see, my thing is, if you cut him, who's your starter? Everson you know, Griffin. I think, okay, but <laughs> that's fine. But He Everson actually plays Griffin games, is, Andrew. Everson Griffin is 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 old, man. And Give him a short time. Okay, look. Olivier Vernon has, has a long injury history, absolutely, and that's a problem. But he's on a, he's like what two years left. Yes, this is last year, fifteen no, mil. It's last year, so it's totally non guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think there's any reason to cut him now. Uh, I think any at any point you can cut him. So I don't really see any reason to get rid of him now, unless you know they're going to do something insane like uh, sign Jadavian Clowney. But I don't think the Browns can afford to pay guaranteed money three years from now for Jadavian Clowney. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, Clowney's not going to come here. The reason I say Everson Griffin is, A, again, another Minnesota person, so familiar with some of the coaching staff. He is a reliable pass rusher. He's had eight sacks in mul- – he's had almost double-digit sacks in the last, like, five years. He's a pro bowler. He is a little bit older, but he doesn't miss many games, and he's really physical, which I think would be really helpful to complement, like we said, comp- maybe complement Miles Garrett's – quickness and power because last year him and Vernon are kind of similar in the way they win. And I think having someone that's a little bit more physical and able to get to be able to pass rush the right side or the left side 
would be incredibly helpful. And I think also he would cost less than, you know, paying Olivier Vernon 15 million. And you could even use the remaining money to pick up some depth signings on the defensive line. Cause like you said, once the starters went down last year, there was really a lot of no names. And I think they could use some of that yeah. money they saved from Vernon to get a guy that's more reliable. He may be a little older, but more reliable for the short term and then be able to have some rotation guys to compliment someone like to Chad Thomas, who, has showed that he can be a solid rotational defensive end, um, but probably isn't going to be a starter anytime soon. So you need to get somebody if you're going to lose Vernon that can start and then maybe another person behind them. So that way, if something happens to Miles Garrett or Everson Griffin, you have somebody that can step up and keep the pass rush going. Cause last year, once the Browns didn't have a pass rush, the defense was pretty much over. Yep. So we're both in agreement. Left tackles, the biggest need. Absolutely. Going forward. What do you, what out of these three, or I guess four, what would you pick as your next biggest need after left tackle? Right guard, wide receiver three, linebacker, or safety? I would probably say safety just because I think linebacker, you can find some cheaper players maybe in this next wave of free agency, maybe as some of this uh, COVID-19 stuff uh, ends and some of the more visits can happen with some of those players that maybe have some injury concerns. I think safety, I mean, the Browns lost their entire set. Uh, safety room basically they lost Eric Murray who got overpaid by the Texans they lost Justin Burris who was a really good depth signing for us we don't have Morgan Burnett anymore I mean there's a lot of guys and obviously Demarius Randall's free agent he's not going to be back so that's pretty much every safety except for Sheldrick Redwine that was no longer employed now they did have some depth signings they have Sendejo who's probably going to fight with uh, Redwine because Redwine wasn't a draft pick of this regime so I'm sure he'll have to fight for his roster spot, but they don't have a free safety and they re- really need yeah. a free safety. And there are some good safeties in this draft, like uh, Grant Delpit, who if you asked me at the beginning of this year where he was going to go, I would have told you top 10, no question, but he had some pretty bad film in this past season, despite the fact that the LSU's defense was still dominant and they won the national championship. Uh, but he showed kind of like another LSU player. The Browns have greedy Williams that he wasn't big on tackling. So maybe again, maybe, drafting him and he's just a really good free safety because I think despite that greedy Williams did play pretty well last year for the Browns until the end of the year when he started getting targeted a little bit more and just kind of got a little bit overwhelmed. Well, they also used a scheme that made no sense. Yeah. He needs to play press man on people to be successful or man coverage. And he really was just playing a lot of zone. And then the, and then, you know, if not him, then there's talk of Antoine Winfield jr. For those who don't know Antoine Winfield, look him up he's amazing ohio state great but uh the minnesota but his son who's a safety out of minnesota is a free safety strong safety hybrid and he's a little undersized but i think that's someone in the second round that after the browns address left tackle i think safety would be huge because they need someone in the back of that secondary that can uh create turnovers because right now the browns don't really have a lot of players in that back end outside of maybe denzel ward that can create turnovers for them well, I was going to say almost exactly every word you just said, so I'll just go ahead and say I agree with everything you just said. Um, yeah, linebacker, I think, is a little bit less important position in the NFL in general. Unless we can get um, Isaiah and think, Simmons. And I think, you know, Sione Takitaki, there's a, I, I'm skeptical, but there's a chance he could be a linebacker. We really have no idea. Um, and Mac Wilson, you know, if he develops into a really good linebacker, that kind of lessens the need for another, you know, kind of stud at linebacker and I think I think wide I think wide receiver three can be filled in by like third you know, round maybe not 
maybe not whoever's in the roster, but maybe some combination of who's in the roster and like you said, maybe like a third, fourth round pick, whatever. KJ Hill. So I think I think the Browns are primarily gonna play two wide receiver. Um and I think right guard, you know, I think Chris Hubbard could be an option there. I think that like Drew Forbes could be an option there. You know, I think the Browns have enough guys in house that can compete that if they're below average at right guard or maybe average at right guard, if they have, you know, really good linemen at, at you know, left guard, center, and right tackle, that that can be acceptable. Yeah. I mean, I think. Remember, remember when the Browns had, uh, let's see, Joe Thomas, Eric Steinbach, Mitchell Schwartz. Not Eric Steinbach. Who was that center? It was, oh, Alex Mack. Eric Steinbach. They, they had Alex That's Mack. They had Kevin Zeitler. They had Joel Batonio. They had Joe Thomas. And then they had Mitchell Schwartz. Yeah, but before, uh, before um, who was the right guard you ever seen? It was, it was John Greco. Oh, yeah, right Zeitler. Guard. It wasn't Zeitler. It was Greco, yeah. It was John Greco. And you were like, okay, we have four all-pro caliber offensive linemen and John Greco. And John Greco was – Average to above average, and that was just fine. So I guess that's what I'm saying about right guard is I'm hoping that, you know, the Browns offensive line is good enough that right guard can be kind of just filled in. And same thing with wide receiver three. But, yeah, I think that having a legitimate playmaker in the secondary, like you said, is is really important. Um, and the Browns don't have any options at free safety going forward. They've got a couple guys that, you know, Carl Joseph and uh, Sheldrick Redwine that could maybe be strong safeties going forward or rotational safeties, but you know, there's just a playmaking gap back there. And then the last thing just about the draft in general, I mean, I think the Browns will be in a really good position to get one of those top four offensive linemen, because I think we're going to see, obviously we're going to see Joe Burrow going first to the Washington Redskins or not to the Washington Redskins to the Cincinnati Bengals. And then Chase Young from Ohio state, most likely will go number two to the Washington Redskins. And then after that, there's going to be, you know, some potential trade-ups for Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama, Justin Herbert. There's a lot of quarterbacks available this year. And, again, Isaiah Simmons is one of those guys. I think there's going to be potential for the Browns to maybe get maybe not the pick of the four, but they might get a pick of the three of the four, that being Mekhi Becton out that, of Louisville, that would be ideal. Andrew Thomas from Georgia, uh, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, and then I'm forgetting the last person, uh, Jedrick Wills from Alabama, which – if I had to pick one of so, them, I'd pick Worfs. Uh, so my question for you is about those left tackles. You're more of a college guy and a draft scout than I am. So Worfs is the consent, not consensus, but I think majority, uh, you know, top of those four guys, despite the fact that he's mostly been a right tackle. <laughs> uh, Becton is just a massive, just hulk of a human being. Um, but he's mostly, he's been a right tackle. I no, Beckton was a left tackle. He, he's just insanely Beckton. raw. That's the problem. Right. He, so he's raw. Uh, Wirfs was a right tackle. Mm-hmm. Wills, uh, I believe, was, he was a right tackle. Both. Yeah, right tackle. And then you've got uh, who's Andrew Thomas one? was a three-year starter at Georgia at, at left tackle. At left tackle. He was right tackle year one, then left tackle the last two years. Yes. So, so would you not default towards Thomas because he's shown that he can be a left tackle or does that, or do you think Worfs is just so talented that that switch won't be? Cause to me, if you're drafting a college right tackle and putting him at left tackle year one in the NFL, you know, there could be some struggles there. The My thing with it is I know no matter what happens with, with drafting Tristan Worfs, I know that we're going to get a good offensive lineman because worst case, if he's not our left tackle and we have to, 
have a veteran stopgap left tackle, he will be a Pro Bowl right guard. He kind of, it's kind of like Zach Martin yeah, in a way. See, you don't you don't want to draft it. You don't want to draft a guard at ten though. You know what I mean? I mean, you people said that with Brandon tackle. Scherf, and Brandon Scherf is one of the yeah. best. Has been one of the best guards in the league for years. Yeah. Said same thing with Zach. I mean, Zach Martin got drafted in the first round. We've seen guards being drafted before that have. I mean, we just saw a couple of years ago with Quentin Nelson change almost the fabric of a team when he got drafted. My thing is with so, Iowa offensive linemen, I especially with um, the fact that you can't scout and you can't visit these guys and they don't have workouts, you want to take the players that are the most consistent. And I trust Kirk Ferentz and that Iowa staff when it comes to developing offensive linemen because, as we know, Iowa offensive linemen come in bunches. So out of the four guys, Becton, Will, Thomas, Wirfs, who are you most confident in being an above-average left tackle year one? I still think Worst could be because he Worst did play some left tackle at Iowa. He was just asked to play right tackle in certain scenarios as well. And then after that, I would say Andrew Thomas is probably the most pro-ready. I think he could step in and be a left tackle right away. The problem is... So you think you think Thomas is the safest year one starter at left tackle? Yes. The only problem is he's a, probably a little bit better of a run blocker than he is a pass blocker, and he's not the biggest guy however he does fit our system pretty well he could he does move pretty well so he could succeed in a zone blocking scheme so it'd be interesting to see if that would work for them makai becton that can move but makai becton is just a complete wild card he could be jason peters he could be eric well, when you're 370 pounds i mean like he has such a so upside. of yeah. the four guys of the four guys who do you think has so you think thomas is the is the best option if you need a day one starter above all else. Yeah. Left tackle wise of the four guys, who do you think has the the most upside to be like an all-time great among the four? Oh, Mekhi Becton for sure. Because Mekhi Becton is just because the size, like a Tyron Smith. Yeah. Type. He could be Tyron Smith or Jason Peters in terms of his athleticism. I mean, he's, he's able to get, and he's so big, like good luck trying to get around that guy. He's able to figure out with proper technique and everything. And he's able to, work hard in that aspect it's going to be difficult to stop him i haven't even talked about jedrick wills he could probably play left tackle but i think he's going to be a really really good right tackle in the nfl like probably a pro bowl right tackle and i would draft him if i was the browns but at the same time then you have to have him move over to left tackle and i honestly just trust tristan worse more he's also was a, had a freak combine he was super athletic super explosive and he could he was playing in a pro style blocking scheme in college which is another reason why I'm confident in him to be able to transition because he worked as one of the best offensive line coaches there is. His head coach is one of the better offensive line coaches in the country in Kirk Ferentz. So I, so I trust out of, that. Out of the four overall, you think that Worfs is your favorite? Yeah, I mean, Worfs to me, I think, could start at left tackle and maybe he won't be the as good as Andrew Thomas is initially, but I think he will have a better overall career. And then worst case, I think he could be like Brandon Scherf and move to right guard. Again, another Iowa offensive lineman who people saw at tackle for a lot of years. He, he They realized he was going to eventually be a guard and he has been an all pro right guard for most of his career. So are there any of the four that you would be upset with the Browns drafting? I don't think Becton fits us our scheme because I think while he does move well for his size, I don't think zone blocking is something that he is going to probably succeed in. And on top of that, he's very raw and that doesn't really you fit the window. More just a, you think he's more of just a set up and mall type of guy? Well, for now, but I, th- and I think with the way the Browns are set up, I don't think they can wait on a guy to, for two or three years to kind of develop into this tackle. Now maybe he 
surprises us and is amazing right away. But I trust, I, I haven't seen as much on him as, you know, worse we've seen play for years. He was a multiple year starter, Andrew in the big 10, Andrew Thomas was a multiple year starter and the sec, same thing with Jedrick Wills. These guys all competed at the highest levels in college football and were successful. And I think with everything going on this off season, I think those guys I would trust more than this athletic freak with that. We just don't know enough about in terms of, how much extra work he's going to need, especially um, with the restrictions and off-season programs because of the coronavirus. I see. Well, it's going to be, you know, I think so far the Browns have kind of done, I would probably say the easiest part of the off-season because they've thrown some money at some guys and they've signed some kind of, you know, low-risk signings. And I think so far they've filled a lot of holes and they've had a successful off-season, but I think the really, really hard decisions, you know, Odell, Trent Williams, what to do at 10. I think the really hard decisions that are really going to decide, you know, the success of the team going forward, I think those are still to come. So I'm really fascinated to see how this plays out. And we all know that NFL teams, unless you're Bill O'Brien, who's a complete <laughs> dunce, just, I mean, it's incredible. He still has a job. <laughs> I mean, he could have just been fired in the spot early this offseason, but whatever. Unless you're Bill O'Brien, NFL teams are in no rush to make trades at this point in the offseason. There's discussions constantly, but a lot of times right around the draft is where stuff really starts to move. So, you know, I'm really fascinated to see if the Browns make any more trades and if not, you know, how they approach the draft. But we have another uh, almost month till the draft still. So it'll be a kind of a, a long wait still as we, you know, have no other sports to watch and just kind of play Call of Duty all day and go to work. Unless you're like me and work from home, then you just work and then you stay at home. Yeah. It's kind of a blessing and a curse to work 47 hours a week, not in the home. Normally it's a curse. Now it's like, you know, it's still a curse. It's just a different kind of curse. Hey, at least we're both still working, right? Back. That's right. Uh, really a feeling for a lot of people that aren't able to work right now. It's, yeah. Uh, our thoughts are to everybody what's out going there. On is really, really unfortunate, man. It's, um, it's really tough for a lot of people. And we're thinking about everybody, even if you're, still working you're just not able to see your family or if you're just not able to go out and do the things you enjoy uh we're thinking about everybody and uh we'll uh we'll see what happens with this brown browns off season the rest of the way but I, no matter what happens we will be back with more tree city sports podcasts to discuss it all right everybody you stay safe watch